Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We bless you. And Lord, we're so grateful. This is a season of gratefulness we've entered into. But Lord, with you, we don't need a season to be grateful. Lord, every day of the year is an opportunity to give thanks. We're so thankful, Lord, for the air we're even breathing right now, Lord God, for the earth that we're walking on, for all that you've created. And we've taken a moment this day of the week to pause, to give glory to you, and to get deep into uh, your words so that we can learn more about Jesus. Father, we just come before you and pray that today's word would be one uh, that would draw us closer to you, that would give us a better understanding of what you're calling us to do, and that we would walk in the fullness of that. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I'm, I'm really excited about today, um, and I want to get right back into the message. As you know, we're talking about healing, divine healing in the age of corona. And I, I titled it that way because in spite of what's going on with respect to uh, the pandemic, Jesus is still a healer. He's always been a healer. He's never stopped being a healer. And we want you to see the revelation of who Jesus is as a healer so you can tap into that for help in time of need. But before I get into the meat of the sermon, there's a couple of comments I'd like to make, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make them at first, but I was provoked to do it, uh, and and I'll tell you why. So uh, certainly in this season, there's a lot before our eyes uh, that we can see online and what have you. Certainly, there are a lot of folks in the evangelical community and in the word of faith community that have gotten a lot of attention in a large part because of comments they've made politically, et cetera, that have gotten people's attention. And a couple of moments were, were captured uh, online that, you know, uh, was uh, featuring a couple of people from that community. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I want to talk about it because I don't want us to be cynical about the things of the Spirit, I don't want us to be cynical about the things of the Spirit. And um, I think when you see people who, when I say things of the Spirit, you see people from a charismatic community or from a Pentecostal community. Uh, the, the things we, I say we because I'm part of that community, but sometimes the things that we do look strange. And the, the Scripture you look at the scripture, for example, when you see when the Holy Spirit fell upon the people on the day of Pentecost, the folks thought the folks were drunk, right? They thought they were drunk. Uh, and so it was hard to explain it. This seemed weird. And Peter had to explain, hey, they're not drunk. This was prophesied in the book of Joel. And then he preached a sermon, right? We see the same thing in the book of Corinthians where the apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and saying, it's great that you speak in tongues, but look, when people from the outside right, who don't understand what you're doing, come to your service, there's a way you need to frame that so that they don't think you are crazy, right? Uh, we, we see that the, that the King Saul, when he, uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of Samuel, we see King Saul, and there's a moment before he's anointed king in which he begins to prophesy with the prophets, and people are like, Saul, like, is he one of the prophets too? It was a strange thing to see him that way, right? And so I, I, what I want to say is that uh, uh, things of the Spirit will seem strange, okay? Now, I don't say that to endorse all the comments that have been made from people like that politically. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that people, as, as people critique what they've said politically, don't be cynical about the things of the Spirit, because the Spirit may do a certain thing a certain way, and it may look weird, but it still be God. 
And just as something else that comes to mind, if you look in the Old Testament, and there was a, a man named Naaman, he was the commander of the Syrian army, and he had leprosy, and he wanted healing. And so he went to the prophet Elisha, and because Elisha was known for healing people, and when he came to Elisha, he was disappointed because Elisha, what he said is, go dunk, go dunk into the Jordan River seven times. That sounded crazy, right? Especially because the Jordan River was dirty and filthy. Seemed strange, but nonetheless, that was what the Spirit asked you know, him to do. So I, again, I'm, I'm bringing it up so that in, the, in this season where we're highlighting different people, and again, I'm not defending every statement everyone is, it's not so much about the statements and their politics, it's just that when you, we've, um, we've identified people in the media that are from charismatic circles, and some of them have overreached in terms of, sometimes some of them have proclaimed things that haven't necessarily come to pass, right? And so we say, hey, you know, are you, are you this, are you that? And that's fine if you want to critique them on that. But what I'm saying is, don't be cynical about the things of the Spirit. We have prayer meetings here too, and we record them, not to make them public, but to give you access to them. We're not sure how, how God's going to move necessarily. Some people may look at our prayer meeting and say, hey, what are you doing over there? Okay? So I just, I just want us to keep that in perspective. That said, uh, let's get into our, our, our message today. So last week, we continued to build a foundation for belief in divine healing. Okay? We're laying a foundation. And I know there's some people in this congregation, you are old school word of faith people, and you're like, okay, let's get into it. Let's, I'm ready to confess the word of God. I'm ready to claim the promises of God. And, and, and I've, I've grown up in a tradition where we, we, we're ready to go with that. Well, there's also people who don't have that background and they need, we have to lay a foundation because they are some of the folks who are cynical about charismatic people or uh, what, I, what the seminary calls uh, neo-Pentecostals. Those are those, as I said, those naming and claiming folks, those blabbing and, uh, you know, uh, uh, blabbing and grabbing folks. Uh, you know, what are they talking about? So I got to, I got to appeal to, to the scripture, but I have to also appeal to your intellect. So I'm taking my time so that you will actually listen to what may, uh, you may actually end up saving your life. And I don't say that lightly. There are people who have embraced this message and they've called upon it to save their lives and the lives of others. In fact, we're going to be documenting some testimonies of people in our church for whom that is literally true. And so you'd be encouraged by that. Okay, so laying a foundation. This series, as I said, has two objectives. Number one, to demonstrate that developing faith for divine healing is biblical, practical, and beneficial. You take your medicine from your, from your human doctor, you can take medicine from Dr. Jesus, right? Don't be, so be committed to the practical things you need to do in your health, but don't be more committed to that than the medicine that comes from the Word of God. So while you're taking your insulin, take a scripture, Right, so while you're doing whatever procedure you're doing, listen to an audio that is encouraging your faith. Be as diligent with the spiritual things as you are with the natural things. It's practical. The scripture says in Proverbs that the word of God is medicine to our flesh. Number two, the purpose of this series is to foster reasonable expectations for divine intervention and the healing and recovery of your physical body. You can actually expect to be healed. There's a lot of people who ask for prayer, you know, pray for so-and-so. They're going through. Pray for so-and-so. They're sick. And we pray for it. But many people pray, but they don't expect. They don't expect, right? And what we're talking about here is a reasonable expectation because people can be, 
there are, there are instances where people can be imbalanced, not thinking holistically, and be beside themselves. We, we know that can happen, but those are extreme cases. The reality is that you can expect your healing and that in your life, you can see an overall pattern of God documenting his faithfulness in your healed body. Let's continue. So receiving divine healing, and so here's the key, and we're going we're gonna to double down on this today. Receive, as we talked about last week, receiving divine healing has everything, everything to do with seeing Jesus clearly. Seeing Jesus clearly. If I had a, and I'm from the tradition, word of faith tradition, I'm definitely from it, right? And I, 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 there are doctrines that they preach that I subscribe to, which I'm preaching to you now. But if, if I were to give a critique of the movement, what I would say is that at times when people talk about prosperity, they move away from Jesus as a focus, right? And so they mean well because they're saying, hey, Here's all these promises I get from God, and I get this, and I get that, and we understand that. But there becomes such an emphasis on material blessing that people will listen and say, well, where's, G- where's the gospel in all of this? Please understand that everything we get blessed with, the root is Jesus. It's Jesus. And he is, as we said last week, we talked about all those names of God. Jesus is everything that has been revealed to us about God in Scripture, including Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Okay? So if we can see him clearly, you can access the healer. You can access Jehovah Jireh, the provider. You can access El Shaddai and El Elyon and and Jehovah Shammah and all those names. You can access it through Jesus. So it's a person we see. Seeing Jesus clearly is where our faith is begins. And what happens is there are people who see Jesus and they just see a man from Galilee. Or they just see a religious cliche. And so because they don't see him as a healer, they don't receive their healing. Let's continue. When we can see the God that heals in Jesus, we can receive healing from him like so many people did when Jesus walked physically on the earth. And we're going to talk about it. We're taking our time, but we're, we're going to talk about it. So I'm, what I'm going to do today, and I know it seems like, well, why don't you just get straight to the scriptures that talk explicitly about healing? I could, but if I do that, it might reduce this healing message to techniques I'm not against techniques. I mean, because I've learned from word of faith preachers that give you things. You know, they have their three steps to this and your five steps to that. And I've learned from all of that. But, but I, I don't start with the techniques. I start with Jesus. The people who got healing from Jesus in the Old Testament, they didn't have all that teaching. They just saw him clearly. And when they got a revelation of who he was, we're going to talk about the woman with the issue of blood today. She said, Mama, there goes that man. Mama, there goes that man. We we go wherever he going, I'm going. Because where he goes, my healing is. Because that's Jehovah Rapha who just walked down the street. That's That's Jehovah Rapha who's walking with those disciples. And once you see him as the God that heals all of your diseases, then that's the one you go to for your healing. It's seeing him clearly. 
Let's continue. So I'm going to go to the Old, well, I'm really the New Testament. I'm going to Hebrews, but Hebrews is reflecting on the Old Testament. And what I'm going to, what we're going to talk about is how the, old, the faith of the Old Testament saints, we're going to review this, what I call the Hall of Faith, it has all these people from the Old Testament, and it talks about their faith. And what I'm going to share with you is that their faith was actually in Jesus, even before he was born. And it was that faith in a pre-incarnate Jesus that everything they did in terms of the supernatural was based. Let's look at it. So again, people in the Old Testament had faith in a Jesus they saw from afar. This is what Hebrews 11 talks about. We're going to read portions of it. But what I want to highlight first is that look at all, I, I made a list of them. Uh, summarizing the individuals that are, that, are, uh, rem- uh, that are commented on in Hebrews 11. You see Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the children of Israel, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, and countless unnamed people listed in the hall of faith. You know what that tells me? The fact that unnamed people are on this list speaks to how available the supernatural was and is to people with no noted spiritual gifts. So we tend to think, well, you're a prophet, you're an apostle, so what happened to you? No, it lists a bunch of people, you don't know their names. But it talked about what they did supernaturally. Why? Because of their faith. And what was the faith based in? Jesus. Even though he hadn't been born yet, they could see him from afar. Let me explain why. Both the named and unnamed people in the hall of faith are honored in the same way. I'm saying this because you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have graduated from seminary, but you can walk in the same spirit of faith that any person that is a pastor or teacher can. Faith is not more available to them than it is to you, and you can operate in the supernatural. You know, it's interesting, speaking of how strange the things of the Spirit can be, I remember when uh, there was, a few years ago, I was teaching a class at Biola, and we got, we, everyone, out, we were in class, and everyone got a text, there was an active shooter on campus. And so, you know, you send, they send the emergency message to everybody, and so their students are sitting there, and I didn't blink. I just stopped there and took authority. I said, in the name of Jesus... And it was not out of fear or anything like that, but I just, it's just like habit. I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to take authority over the spiritual forces behind this active shooter. And I started praying and all that kind of stuff. And all those students, this is a Christian college, by the way, but they looked at me like, what is he doing? I didn't blink. I was looking at them. What are you doing? You going to wait for him to come in here? <laughs> we're going to take authority. But it was strange to them. It was strange to that some guy, and I don't know if they knew I was a minister at that point, but some teacher could just do that. You could just talk like that. Like you could just talk like you have authority. <laughs> That's what they said about the apostles after Jesus was resurrected. They were talking and they talked like they had been with Jesus. They talked with authority. <laughs> they talked like they had the authority to actually do that. When Jesus was preaching, uh, when he first came on the scene, they said he was a man that spoke with authority. He spoke as if he had the authority over the things he said. And that's what you can do. You can speak to your body like you have the authority to speak to it, to declare it. Now, a lot of people know the declarations, but we got, if we get to the foundations, if you have the foundation, then when you speak, it has 
power. Because the conviction of that authority and the conviction of who Jesus is in our lives is rooted in us. It's those roots. It's those roots. You know the parable of the sower? Jesus was preaching the parable of the sower, and he said there's different grounds. There's some pre- Jesus is preaching, and the birds just eat up the seed. It's, it's Jesus, the, the word gets sown, and some people, they get excited for a moment, and then they're done. No endurance. And you have other people, the word is in their hearts, but they get caught up in the affairs of life. They stop being consistent, meditating on the scripture, keeping that word in their heart, being reminded of who Jesus is. And because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, it gets choked. But other people, it goes in deep. It goes in deep. And then when the, when the winds blow and when you get the report from the doctor and when your body starts talking to you, sometimes it's just you and that pain <laughs> and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and the pain. And it's like, what you going to do? <laughs> what you going to do? What you going to do? But when you're rooted in, you're going to call those things which be not as though they were. You're not waiting for the circumstances to change to know that Jesus is a healer but it has to be rooted in. So let's read Hebrews 11, 13. It says this, talking about people in what I call the hall of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What is this talking about, things promised? What is that? Guess what? It's Christ and his kingdom. That is what was promised. When it talks about the things promised, it's talking about Christ and his kingdom. It's not talking about why I prayed for healing and it didn't happen. That's not what it's talking about. It's not saying I prayed for this and I didn't see it take place. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about there were prophecies about Jesus and there were prophecies about his kingdom that in their minds could happen any moment. And because of the reality of that kingdom, which I haven't seen manifested yet, but I believe in, I have faith for my healing. I have faith to stop the mouths of lions. I have faith to defeat an army. I have faith to do this. Why? Because of the promises of Jesus and his kingdom that were in the Old Testament. That was the promise they were talking about that they hadn't seen yet. And that's one reason why their faith is so powerful. We've got a whole scripture to look at. We've got the New Testament. We have historical records that demonstrate that Jesus actually walked this earth in history, right? We have all these things. They didn't have any of that. They just had the promise. And even just seeing Jesus from afar, that was enough to have the faith to do exploits for him. And if they can do it then, us now with better promises, we can do it now. So let's look at some of these Old Testament promises. I'm going to go through them a little, little quickly, but we'll, we'll pause here and there. So first of all, the, the Genesis 3.15, very important one. It says uh, uh, the, God is speaking to the woman. He's speaking to Eve and talking about the, 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 the implications of her life. And he's, you know, giving, pronouncing the consequences of, of the sin of, for, for Adam and Eve and the serpent. But he, then he, he says something to Eve that is a prophecy about Jesus. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy about Jesus that the seed of the woman, 
It's talking about Jesus versus the seed of the serpent, which is talking about the, 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 the offspring of the devil. People are, who are shaped by the thinking and mentality of Satan, right? They're going to they're gonna be fighting each other. But, but ultimately, it's when it talks about bruising your head and he, you know, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, it's talking about the fact that Jesus is going to defeat Satan and, Satan, and Jesus is going to be bruised on the cross, but he's going to be victorious. In other words, his foot's going to be on Satan's head. That was a prophecy of Jesus coming back to undo what Satan had done to humanity. So that was the first prophecy that told us we can have faith in this person, this Messiah, this anointed one, this person who will come to set humanity free. Jude 1.14, one of my favorites here. This is talking about Enoch, actually. It says this, it was also about these that Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied. Remember Enoch, he was raptured. He was raptured into the heavens. He was the first one who was ever raptured up. And I guess God had to take him up because he was talking too much. He said, hold on, brother. I mean, I'm just playing. I don't know if that was the case. But he was, look, look at the revelation he had very early on. Look at what Enoch is prophesying. He says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones. Who was he talking about? The end of days. When Jesus comes back, it, you know, in the book of Revelation, it says the armies of the Lord. And I don't know if it's angels or people. I hope it's people because I want to be on my horse right next to Jesus and, and the Apostle Paul and probably a 30-year-old looking version of my grandfather and my ancestors and people who died in the faith. Jesus is going to be on the lead horse and we're going to be right behind him. That's what Enoch is talking about. He can see it already. The kingdom was clear. He saw it from afar off, but it was enough for him to have faith. Let's keep reading. How, how else did he preach? He said, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones. Why does he say 10,000s? Because that's as high as they can count then. They didn't have millions. So he just, the biggest number they can come up with was, was thousands, but it's actually going to be millions of saints. Some of them, some of them who've passed already. Some of them who died tragically. Some of them who died early. It's going to be, if you ever see the movie, uh, was it Endgame? You mean, remember at the end when Captain America was defeating, was fighting Thanos and Captain America thought, you know, this was all he can do. And then, and then guess what? Falcon said, to your left. If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, the, and all these people who had been figuratively raptured up, they came back to fight the end battle. And that's what Enoch is prophesying about. He could see it from afar. He could see it from afar. He says, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. Catching my breath, catching my breath. <laughs> that they have been committed in such an ungodly way. Basically what it's talking about don't fret over evil, folks. Jesus is coming back to clean up. Any injustices, he's going to handle. It may look like people getting away with stuff. They are not. Jesus is coming back, and it ain't the Jesus from the Gospels. It's the Jesus with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes. Enoch could see the day. Let's continue. More prophecies. Genesis 12, 2 through 3, it says this. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's the, here's the clincher. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, what you don't realize, if you're not clear, is that this is a prophecy of Jesus. Because how could Abraham's seed bless all the nations unless his seed was Jesus? 
Galatians clarifies that for us. So in Galatians 12, Galatians 3 and 8, it, it, the, the, Paul is interpreting that passage. He says this, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, check it out, preached the gospel beforehand. Preached the gospel beforehand. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. How did he preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham? In that statement where he says, and you all the nations shall be blessed. That wasn't about Isaac, that was about Jesus. Saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. Here's some more prophecies. Deuteronomy 18:15. It says, The Lord your God will raise, this is Moses talking, centuries before Jesus was born. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. He continues in verses 17 and 18. He says this, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's a prophecy about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Micah 5 and 2. Check it out. We're near Christmas time. This is an appropriate passage. It says, but hundreds of years before Jesus is born. I, I can't say that enough. I mean, I mean, there's so many reasons to validate the Scripture that is from God. And one of them are these prophecies. They're all over the Old Testament. And G, you know Jesus is the dude because he fulfills every single one. Every single, you singing about this little child from Bethlehem, but it was prophesied. It says in Micah 5 and 2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This was the passage, you know, when, when, when the wise men came to Herod and, 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 and the wise men were like, we saw the star, he's here. And Herod was like, wait, I'm the king of the Jews. Is it another king? They said, yeah, he was just born. We can tell because of the star. And so what you look, if you look at the scripture, it says that Herod called the scribes and said, go look in the Old Testament and see where the anointed one is supposed to be born. They went to Micah and they said, Bethlehem. And that's when Herod got wise and he tried to kill Jesus by killing all the babies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they were using this as a point of reference. Let's continue. Isaiah 7, 14. You know this one. Therefore, the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, this is in the book of Isaiah. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Who's that talking about, Mary? It's the seed of the woman from Genesis 3, 15. And shall call his name Emmanuel. This is not just a Christmas carol, folks. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, you know this one. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, did we talk about that name last week? Did we talk about that name? And his name shall be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Talking about Jesus. These, this is what the, the people in the Old Testament who had faith, they, they saw this and they saw Jesus and his kingdom from afar. 
Let's continue. Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. Oh, I like this one. You're going to like this one. Who has believed? Uh, Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. Who has believed what he has heard from you? In some versions, it says, who has believed our report? We sing that song sometimes. Whose report shall you believe? This is where we get that from. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, it's talking about Jesus here, it's a prophecy, before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus, I mean, we have pictures of him with the, with the halo and, the, and the, the blonde hair and stuff. He just looked like a regular dude. There was nothing about him physically where you say, oh, you look like a model. That wasn't the case. He just looked like a regular dude, but he did some powerful things because he was the, he was the son of God. But let's continue. Verse 3, and I love this one. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. It's talking about he was beat up on the cross. Uh, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, you know it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, we're not going to get into it today in depth, but when it's talking about this, it includes our pains and sicknesses and diseases. Some theologians don't believe that. They just think it's talking about general pain, and it includes the holistic aspect of it, but in holistic, it also specifically includes our physical body. Not the focus of today's message, but just noting it here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That's healing generally, but it includes healing specific to our bodies. This is where healed by Jesus stripes comes from. This passage, it's a prophecy. And I think Isaiah actually had a vision of Jesus on the cross. That's what I think personally. And he's documenting it. Again, Old Testament saints seeing Jesus from afar. We're not done. Daniel 7, 13 through 14 says this. I love this one. This is Daniel speaking. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So when Jesus calls himself a son of man, he's not talking about the fact that he's human. He's saying that I'm the dude in this prophecy. One like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It's talking about Jesus and his kingdom. Now, why did I go through all that? Because what I want to tell you is that when it talked about they didn't receive the promise, it's talking about that. They never saw Jesus in the flesh. They never saw his kingdom manifest physically, but they believed in it. They believed in it, just seeing it from afar. And we've got a chance to see it up close, relatively speaking, relative to them. The faith of all these famed Old Testament saints was rooted in a pre-incarnate Jesus. That means a Jesus that has not taken on a physical body yet. And Hebrews actually gives us a clue behind this. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. It says this, by faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, check this out. He cons- this is Moses. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Well, how does Moses know about Christ? Christ hasn't been born yet. And yet, 
He could access it. Why? Because of the promises. And now, the Old Testament saints didn't have the clarity that we have, but they can still see it. And just that glimpse of it was enough to have the faith to do what we're going to read about. Let's continue. Here's the key. Here's the key. And we're going to get into a little more with the woman with the issue of blood. Their faith. Their faith. Not Jesus' faith. Not the preacher's faith. Not the apostle's faith. Their faith accomplish supernatural things. And what does that mean? My faith accomplishes supernatural things. And what does that mean? Your faith accomplishes supernatural things. Not somebody else's faith for you, although, and we'll get into that too, somebody else can help you, can believe God for you. That can happen. There are instances you had Jairus believing for his daughter. You had the Canaanite woman believing for her daughter. You had the Roman soldier believing for his servant. So it can happen. But at some point, they're not going to be there for you to do that. And like I said, sometimes you're going to have moments where it's you and the pain and Jesus. What you going to do? Doctor said what the doctor going to say. And you sitting there, you, Jesus, and the pain, what you going to do? Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. So when you see what they did, have in your mind, their faith was based upon Christ and the kingdom that they could see through prophecy. And what more shall I say? For time uh, would fail me, this is Hebrews 11, 32 through 38, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, their faith, through a revelation of Jesus, Through faith, conquered kingdoms. Look at all the stuff. Enforced justice. I told you justice is a faith issue. It's a supernatural. Good and evil are supernatural. There are practical things we have to do, yes, but we need to engage it with our faith. Enforced justice. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the power of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Faith. We've got a better covenant and a better view of Jesus. Why can't we do that? Because the last apostle died. Is he still Jehovah Jireh? Is he still Jehovah Nisi? 35, I love this one. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Now, that's a little deep for some people, but God raises the dead. And you've got to believe in that because we may need to call on that at some point. I don't have time to get into it. Both my father and I have had experiences. We have not successfully done it, but we had definitely have had experiences where we went in to pray for somebody to be raised from the dead. And at some point, maybe we'll talk about the things we learned from those experiences. And I will tell you this, raising from some, someone from the dead is not harder than healing cancer. You know what the issue is? Unbelief. Unbelief. The, the unbelief for raising the dead is so strong, it's difficult. And here in the West... We have faith in doctors. 
which is you want to trust doctors, but we trust science so much. We think, it, I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of possible if the, if the pulse is still there, but once they're gone, they're gone. That's your unbelief talking. And you just have to be not concerned about being embarrassed. You just have to be not concerned. That don't bother me. Praying for somebody and it might not happen. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And when you can get over that, you'll pray in faith whenever you're provoked. You're not moved by that. But that's a sermon for another day. We'll continue. Okay? Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. This is really important because it talks about people who are martyred. Okay? It talks about people. So just because you're martyred doesn't mean God abandoned you. You still had faith. But check it out. Some were tortured. Here's the key. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Why is that important? Because martyrs who are really in it the right way, they, it's not like God abandoned them, but it's not a neglect of God's protection, but really it's a willingness on their part. They're committed to the death to preach the gospel. Seeing the life in, their life in Christ as inherently more valuable than any life they could have by playing it safe. They don't care. If you read in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, the people who know him, they said, man, don't go to Rome. The spirit of God is talking. If you go to Rome, they're going to bound you up. He said, quit breaking my heart. I'm willing to do this and more for the gospel. If they get me, they get me. And there's some people, they don't care. It's not suicidal thoughts. Of course, they would they want to, even with Paul, he's like, well, I could be here with you. I can be here with God. But he's saying, like, I'm doing this because I care about preaching the gospel. It's not God's neglect for their protection. And yet we see instances where God does protect people. Let's continue. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What's going on here? They had faith in that kingdom. They couldn't see it. Oh, Jesus didn't come back in their lifetime. Oh, the kingdom didn't manifest in their lifetime, but they had faith in it, which means you don't have to be moved by your circumstances. Maybe you prayed for somebody and they died. That's okay. That's all right. All that's going to make sense in glory. Just keep it moved. Keep, take the time to mourn. Take the time to do that and keep moving in God. Just like Steph Curry, he missed a shot. Guess what? He's jacking the next one up on the next play. If he have a bad game in game one of the series, you better not sleep on Steph Curry game two. And that should be us. We have a bad moment. Deal with it. Don't understand all of it. I trust God. I'm going to pray for the next thing. Let's continue. Who could look at what the Old Testament believers accomplished in Christ and not imagine that by having faith in Christ today, one could also be healed? Doesn't healing seem like a small thing now? Like, it, it, it shouldn't even be a big deal when you see this. This is what is fascinating about the Old Testament saints. They accomplished supernatural exploits with less revelation and manifestation of Christ and his work than we have. 
Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, it says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And what was the promise? Jesus and his kingdom. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What does that mean? Well, the culmination of all their work is in us being able to read about them and thereby inspire our faith. We're connected. Let's continue. We can accomplish the supernatural by adopting the same faith that our spiritual ancestors did. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I love this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I believe it's talking about all those saints who've passed away. I don't believe, I don't believe they interfere with human affairs, but I, I personally believe that they are aware of events on the earth. It's just that they look at it from a heavenly perspective. They look at it from an eternal perspective. So they're not bent out of shape, but they see it. We're surrounded. They look at us in the stands and they pass us the baton. They say, go, go, run, believe God, go. Jesus is coming back. We can't wait to see you. We're going to be right with you on those horses coming back to reclaim the kingdom and say, go. It's like when we watch television, we're watching the angels, we're watching, I'm sorry, the Dodgers. This is a Dodgers town. Watch the Dodgers and the Lakers. We say, go, go. That's what they're doing for us. The bottle's in their hand. They say, go get it. Go get it. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is probably where I'm going to close it out. I got some more stuff. We'll save it for next week. But looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the source of our faith. And if we can see him clearly, we too can stop the mouths of lions. We too can raise the dead. We too can see the sick be healed. We got all the saints from human history cheering us on. Your loved ones who passed away, sometimes too soon, they watching. Go get it. Go get it. And then we'll celebrate, the scripture says in Revelation, at the marriage ceremony of the Lamb, we are the bride of Christ. And we'll all be together. Jesus is the groom. And the church is the bride. And he's coming back. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. That's us. That's us. As we're looking at him and he's looking at us. Metaphorically, that marriage metaphor is like two lovers who are, they, they, they can't wait for the celebration. And I, I, I'm going to be with you and you're going to be with me and we're going to be together forever. That's Jesus and the church. As we run this race, which is why we don't have to be moved by what we see. There's a lot going on, but that's small. That's small beans. That's small potatoes. When you see Jesus and his kingdom in the scripture, and that's why we should read the scripture, because it gives us a picture of Jesus and the kingdom. Which means that in this life, we can have joy and peace. When people, the Old Testament, say, the early church, for about 200 years, they were, just, they were just lambs sent to the slaughter. They were killed and tortured. But guess what? For a 200-year period, they were tortured. They went from, but in that same period, they went from 25,000 Christians to 20 million Christians. They happily gave their life for Jesus. 
because they saw a kingdom that could not be shaken. And that though I may die in this life, like Jesus, I too will be resurrected with a new body, living in a new heaven and a new earth. That life, my friend, is for you if you can see him clearly and submit to his lordship. I don't know who's listening today who has never committed to Jesus. Or maybe you are a Christian and you do Christian things, but you've never actually known Jesus for yourself because you've, you've been uh, supported by family members and friends, and you, you, know, you, you go to church, and you're part of the traditions and customs, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, this is your opportunity to draw close to him. If that's you, I would like for you to pray with me. You know why? Because when we are celebrating here on the earth, when, when Jesus comes back and gives us a new heaven and the earth, I want you to be there. Everybody who comes to Jesus, we're going to be friends for life. We're going to be brothers and sisters for life, for eternity. And I want you to be, as they say in the, in the, in the, in the famous song, I want you to be in that number. I want you to be in that number. You know why the world is crazy? Because this is all they've got. If they don't get the right president, the right senator, the right governor, if the right law is not passed, all is lost for them. And though we strive in this life and we look for the best, we know that our ultimate hope is not in that. But even though we do our due diligence, our hope is in Jesus. So if you want to be part of that hope, I want you to repeat after me in this prayer. Dear God, I come to you now, and I turn away. I repent. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from my way of doing things, from my way of seeing things, from my way of doing right. And Jesus, I turn to you. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and shed your blood and that when you were resurrected my sin remained buried and you made it possible for me to live a righteous life I receive that righteousness I submit to you Jesus as my Lord and my Savior thank you God in Jesus name Amen